WMCHD3 Detroit, KMPS HD3 Seattle, WBMX HD3 Boston, and on AOL Radio and Yahoo Launchcast, CBS Radio's The New Sky. Enlightened philosophers tell us that we are divine beings in human form. Let's get real here. How can we live a busy life with a job, kids, and a mortgage and still be spiritual? Join C.J. Liu as she tackles real-life issues through a spiritual lens and talks with experts in relationships, work, and more. You'll get practical life skills and learn how to touch, feel, and experience a whole new way of living. Be a force for good and fire it up with C.J. Log on fireitupwithcj.com and call CJ now. 248-545-SOL. CBS Radio's The Sky. And welcome in, everyone. We are live here at CBS New Sky Radio, New Horizons, No Boundaries. Fire it up with CJ. Now can be found at fireitupwithcj.com. And welcome to May, where this month we'll be focusing on women and empowering them, uh, us or them, depending on uh, the listener, to be the very best. We have a great guest today. We'll get the show started. CJ, we'll send it to you. Hey, welcome everybody. Um, I'm CJ Liu, and this weekend my eyes were glued on Linda Greenlaw's book, Life-Saving Lessons, Notes from an Accidental Mother. And I've got to tell you, everything about Linda breaks a mold. First of all, she is a fisherman which is not a traditional role for females. In fact, she is one of one of the best sea captains um, uh, in the world, I'll say. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's true, but I know on the East Coast. Um, and instead of pursuing a traditional marriage with kids, she has been married to the sea and um, for about 30 years. And she um, she opted to... Um, adopt a, uh, a teenage girl who was like 15, I think. And, um, the book talks about how she co-parents, uh, her daughter with not only her real life family, with her sisters and mom and dad, but her boyfriend and her small island community with 40 people. So it's a fabulous story and it's really how she accidentally becomes a mother. So welcome, Linda. Are you there? Hi, yes, I am. Thanks for having me. Hey, it's great having you here. So I found this book completely fascinating. I just could not stop reading it, and I kept on talking to my kids about it, and they kept on saying, Mommy, is it a true story or is it a made-up story? I'm like, it's true, it's true. All right, well, I, I love hearing that people are enjoying it, so thank you for that. Yeah, so tell me, how, so how did you accidentally, does anyone ever really accidentally become a mother? How did you become accidentally become a mother? Well, uh, you know, this young girl on the island um, was in a bad situation, and she needed a place to stay at first temporarily because we didn't understand uh, exactly what the situation was she was in. Um, we assumed that her guardian at the time wasn't taking very good care of her because he had an alcohol problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't understand the, you know, what was actually going on in the home until much later, um, which is, you know, she was being abused in many ways. Um, so she was going to stay with me until uh, her guardian sort of got back on, uh, you know, the straight and narrow. And then as things unfolded, it became clear that she just she couldn't go back. Um, not only could she not go back to that situation, but in fact, um, the law had to come in, and her former guardian is now in federal prison. So here we are on this little island, 
Um, and this kid is either going off the island to go into a foster care program, which, you know, at the age of 15, I can't imagine uh, a worse situation. Um, so I was pretty much nominated. It, it was that simple. Um, my community said, hey, Linda, you have a spare bedroom. You know, why don't, you know, you can, you can have her. You've always wanted kids. And it was, um, it was really that simple and frighteningly wow. simple to become a legal guardian. Um, it would have been more difficult to get a puppy at a pound. I know. I was kind of shocked that there there was a pivotal moment in the um, in the story in your book when you just say, "Well, I I I'm going to adopt her," you know, which was shocking. Was it shocking for you when you when those words kind of? It's, when I read the book, it felt like it was just kind of spilled out of your mouth. You're like, "What? What just happened?" Yeah, that's pretty much pretty much um, the way it happened. I, you know, um, I don't want to ruin anything for people who haven't read the book, but. Um, it was a very tense um, moment, and I was pretty much confronting her former guardian who had not been arrested yet, um, and he was saying that he wanted his girl back, and I just, you know, really, uh, it did just go out of my mouth. It's like, you know, in fact, I'm, I'm going to become her guardian, uh, and if you fight me, you will lose, and he understood that. He he understood that he wasn't providing a good home. He didn't know that we knew what we did. Um, he was assuming that we just all thought he had a drinking problem at that time. Mm. Now, when you look back, do you think, I mean, nothing, I always believe, in my spiritual beliefs, there's nothing that's act accidental. I mean, when you look back, do you think this was an accident or it wasn't? I mean, how do you look back at it now in retrospect? <laughs> when I look at, when I look now, uh, and my daughter is just turned 21, and I look back now, and I think it wasn't accidental at all. Um, when 15, 16, 17 years old, uh, it was a very difficult uh, relationship that we had, and not only did I think it was an accident, I thought it was a bad one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All of us mothers do. <laughs> I'm sure, you know, that's what my girlfriends kept telling me, you know, that girlfriends who had raised daughters like oh you know gee that's nothing it's absolutely normal i'm like no nah, you've got to be kidding me right <laughs> i love there's actually there's a part in the book when you say i'm a sea captain how do what do i know about raising a teenage girl and i thought no that is the perfect someone who actually can deal with the perfect storm no <laughs> the emotions that arise of these teenagers irrationality to be emotionally stable during the whole time and patient and just you know, hold for it while chaos is <laughs> reigns. Right. I guess you know that's that's one perspective. But my perspective is that absolutely nothing in my uh, fishing career nor my writing career uh, prepared me for becoming a, a mother figure for anyone. And you know, I think about my role as a captain of a boat and being just absolutely inflexible. And you know, you think of sort of the cliche advice to parents. Um, you know, the one that comes to mind is like choosing your battles, and I, that, you know, indicates that you'd actually be willing to, to bend a little bit on some things, and uh, that just wasn't in my, my game book, so that really not good parenting to just never, ever, you know, be willing to give in at all. And on the other hand, you know, being an author is almost the opposite. You know, it's like you get in your bubble and nothing penetrates from the outside. You just ignore everything on the outside, and that's really not very good parenting skills either. I think the one thing that I like to say, the one thing that I had um, in my favor was um, and still is my relationship with my parents. I mean, I, I understood how it was supposed to work. Mm-hmm. 
Do you think that being a mom helped you become a better fisher, fisherman or fisherwoman and, uh, and writer? Um, certainly a better writer because it's just, um, you know, just a different type of stimulation and uh, really broadened, I guess, you know, just really broadened my, um, my basis for everything. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, you know, no. uh, you know, having a daughter, having a you know a child, um, even starting at the age uh, where she was 15, um, you know, enriched my life in a lot of ways, and um, certainly, you know, enriching and stimulating. It's always good for writing. So, so how old were you when you adopted your daughter at age 15? Well, let's see. It was six years ago, um, and I am 52, so I guess it made me 46. Well, that's perfect. I mean, it's probably if, I mean, I'm around that age and that's when, you know, you have kids this age. So in some ways, you missed all the baby dirty diapers, <laughs> tantrums. <laughs> it's fascinating. It's, I think it's kind of fascinating how life works out that way. Because you just, get, I mean, you kind of like didn't really miss a beat. You're completely on schedule, but you just miss those beginning 15 years. I think that's right, fascinating. Yeah, I this, I, I, I've been jokingly saying that, you know, the stork left a 15-year-old kid on my on my porch. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So when in the book you say that your daughter needed you and you needed her, and what did you mean by that? I mean, I think I know from reading the book, but I want to hear from you directly because I'm just presuming what I would well, imagine you'd say. You know, to my mind, you know, looking, you know, of course, in the writing process, you end up being a lot more introspective and examining things in a far different way than you do when you're actually living them and not really not really looking closely at a lot of things and um I really lived a very light a very selfish life for 46 years I never really had anyone that I had to um be responsible for um I didn't have to worry if anybody was cold or hungry or tired or sad <laughs> and I never you know I think that's a pretty selfish way to live your life, and um, I was happily living it that way. Uh, so, you know, I definitely needed I needed uh, something to concentrate on other than myself. So that, uh, you know, that having a daughter um, definitely filled that need. Um, my daughter needed she needed a mother figure. She needed a, 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 a parental figure. Um, up until the age of fifteen, the uh, adults or the people who were supposed to be parenting her you know she'd just been bounced around a lot and and abused um uh she had like no trust of adults pretty much in general for good reason you know she'd just been Mm -hmm. disappointed and you know worse than disappointed uh so many times that she needed consistency she needed to know that you know when the chips were down i wasn't going to you know cast her aside or give her away or sell her or you know, whatever, and um, to know. sell her. <laughs> That's well, you know, we're not sure whether her biological mother gave her away or sold her. Oh my we don't god! Know. So that's why I guess that's why I said that. I know it's pretty shocking. That's shocking and dismaying. Okay, wow. Okay, I had no idea. Wow. Yeah. Well, oh she was, wow. She was either given away or sold to a pedophile. Oh god, that is just terrifying. All yeah, right, so she was quite young. It is. It's it's disgusting. Yeah. Um, so, wow. Okay. So, and I, I find I have like a thousand questions afterwards. But I, but 
the thing that's so interesting, so she needed, in some ways she needed exactly what you had as being a captain, right? In some ways the inflexibility that you describe as, you know, a problem ends up being probably the kind of consistency and structure that she probably never had and really needed. And, and I find it interesting that you call your life selfish. I sound, it sounds fabulous to me. I want to be a sea captain. <laughs> I, mean, I think it sounds fabulous. And it seems like you're, you're, and this is what I don't, cause I kept on reading a book and I don't get it. Cause she's responsible for everyone on the boat. She's responsible for their life, you know, their, their safety, their well-being, their protection, making sure that they're safe. I mean, so, so I don't get it. <laughs> well, I don't know, but it's not, you know, it, it's not a loving personal relationship. Ah, okay. You're not giving all those guys on the fish, on the boat hugs and, and no, them. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Alright, so you said that throughout the book you talk about you wanted to change and change was something that you thrive on and you look forward to. How do you think a mom, being a mom changed your life for the better? Well, um, along with change, I guess, you know, I, I thrive on, on challenge. And I think it's certainly very challenging to do a good job parenting. Mm-hmm. And, and particularly starting with a 15-year-old, as you say, you know, I didn't, I didn't uh, go through the diaper changing and the learning to ride a bike and, and all the different stages that, that kids go through. Um, and 15-year-old girls are, are not always easy to deal with the teenage years. And then my daughter is a perfect example of a very difficult teen. Mm-hmm. It was a huge challenge. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we both got through it, um, yes. and our relationship's really good now. Uh, but boy, it was it was certainly tough. Mm-hmm. All right, so we are going to be um, coming right back, talking more about um, your uh, what you're trying to do with the book and in your intention with the book. Um, we have Linda Greenlaw, author of Life Saving Lessons: Note from an Notes from an Accidental Mother. Uh, we'll be right back and make sure folks to subscribe to get great shows like this one at www.firedupwithcj.com. We'll be right back. CBS Radio's The Sky. The Sky. Now back to Fire It Up with CJ. Be a force for good and fire it up with CJ. Log on firedupwithcj.com and call CJ now. 248-545-7685. On CBS Radio's The Sky. Sky. And welcome back, everyone. Live here at the Sky, New Horizons, No Boundaries. It is Fired Up with CJ, now available on iTunes. Our guest today, Linda Grewal, author of Life-Saving Lessons, Note from an Accidental Mother. This is Brandon. I'm filling in for Cassandra today. We'll send it to you, CJ. Hey, welcome back, everyone. I'm CJ Liu, and we have Linda Greenlaw, who is sharing her story of how an entire island of 40 people, who's actually relatively close island, was actually duped by an extremely clever pedophile, and how the whole event of uncovering that there was a pedophile among their midst who had been abusing um, this little girl for many, many years, um, really shook the, the idyllic community that she lived in and uh, how it also shook her own sense of safety. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. Welcome back, Linda. Thank you. So, I mean, when you look back at the whole situation, I mean, how, how did the whole, how would you describe how it affected, how 
finding a pedophile among your mitts affected the island, affected you, um, affected the way you looked at things? Um, I, I, from my perspective, um, I think the biggest change that came about, you know, by, by like discovering this pedophile on the island was it really, um, bothered me the way I interacted with kids. I, I became extremely paranoid. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they say it takes a village to raise a child and in this very small, close-knit community, everyone is very involved with every kid on the island. And I, mm. I would think nothing of, you know, hugging a- any kid. Every time I see them, I, like, throw my arms around them, pat them on the head, pat them on the butt, you know, all these things. And it started making me think, wow, maybe I shouldn't be doing that. Mm. Um, mm. checking into hotel with my daughter when she was 15, 16, I'm thinking, God, I wonder, do we need separate rooms? Oh. It really affected the way I interact with kids. And I, you know, I like to think that I'm kind of getting through that and thinking, you know, it's, it's fine. I mean, it's not inappropriate to, but it makes you look at things differently. Yeah, and it's sad because, I mean, all those gestures are a sign of intimacy and connection. And then when you feel like, well, now I can't do this or I'm second-guessing whether these things are appropriate. And I'm sure that was probably true of everyone on the island, right? Yes, I I, I think it was. And, you know, one of the things, something that comes to mind right as we're talking is um, one of the things when my daughter was 15, 16, um, one of the things that really bothered me was she – had a way of getting men's attention. It was always mm-hmm. physically. Mm-hmm. She would either go over and start playing with their hair or try to sit in their lap. Obviously, inappropriate 15-year-old girl should not be climbing into a grown man's lap. It's, right. it's like one of my friends or, you know, whatever. Right. Um, wow. And uh, giving um, a, guy, a man a hug, not just a little hug, but I'm talking like a full-on embrace. Right. Um, and trying to, it, it's tough, you know, I was, I was thinking, well, you know, she'll observe me and she'll see the appropriate way, you know, to get someone's attention maybe is to engage them in conversation. Uh, not everything has to be physical. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, in that, again, I started thinking, gee, everything doesn't have to be physical and maybe I shouldn't be like touching and hugging all these kids. And it's just really a terrible thing to think. Yeah, I mean, it's hard because so much of affection for another person is through physical gestures, and so when you're always kind of second-guessing those things or not sure, that's really hard. And then also if you have a child who really doesn't know what's appropriate, it's like, well, you know, how do you – I don't know. And and nowadays it seems like everything's inappropriate anyways. Right. (laughs) Yeah, you don't dare do anything. Isn't that sad? I know it's really sad. So did you did you feel a sense of I mean and then what was so incredible is that there were other pedophiles or other people on the in the island, right, that had kind of similar types of things that were hidden and Yes, yeah, so we dark. were aware that we had one uh convicted pedophile on the island. He's been there for many years and um, he's sort of ostracized, but you know, he lives on the island. He he fishes around the island. Um no one really um, socializes with him. He, he keeps to himself. And people are obviously nervous. They don't want his kids around him. And that's, you know, a, a tough way to bring up a kid. You know, you're in this paradise, but, you know, they have to be told to not, you know, be alone with certain people. And uh, it, it's tough. But um, 
Anyway. Yeah. I don't know. Here's the thing that's so, that's so frustrating. Cause in some ways I would want to still not be ignorant that, you know, there's, there's, there's always going to be people who are doing things that you're not happy with or doing things that are criminal. I mean, whether you like it or not, and to have that affect your vision of your paradise, that, I don't know, that would just make me mad. That was a major effect, you know, of, of discovering what was going on, and that was, wow, you know, this is one of uh, the islanders are all the most coveted um, description of ourselves is that we're islanders and, and we love the island, and then, you know, it's almost like the island's poisoned by that. Yeah, and I think it's important not to get it poisoned. You know what I mean? It's important not to because if I think when you let those kind of dark energies and ideas kind of infiltrate, they they kind of darken what's beautiful do you know what i mean i mean it be realistic but not have it darken everything right and you know and it, and it was dark but it was temporary yeah you know and we all realize that it's still the place that we know and love and you know uh there are some people there that have done some things and there are there are bad people and the bad people everywhere even on even on our beautiful island yeah, absolutely. So tell me about the, you had said that, you know, you, you reveal so many intimate details about your life, your daughter's life, and it's probably easier not to have written the book, right? I mean, it's so personal, but what gave you the conviction and your daughter, the desire to reveal these really private details to other people? What impact did you hope the book would have? Hey, I'm, I'm sorry, someone, I gotta, I'm sorry, I know we're doing a show and I've got to move to another room because someone's talking on another phone. Okay. Oh, no problem. So, yes. So my question was that, uh, my question, the short version of is that you reveal so many personal details about your life and your daughter's life. Um, and I guess I'm assuming, I'm, I'm, I'm asking you why. What was the intention or greatest hope that you would have by publishing this book? Well, I can tell you, first of all, because the question is usually asked, like, what does your daughter think of this? And um, she's been on board uh, since way before the writing process about my writing this story. And she understands that it's, it's our story, but it's mm-hmm. my perspective of our story. Mm-hmm. She's been very much in favor of, of this book. Um, and her wishes, I guess her hopes for the book, are that um, somebody somewhere someday will read this book and sort of have the courage to, you know, to break out of a situation the way she did. Mm-hmm. My daughter literally physically ran from her abuser with him chasing her. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's a nightmare, um, but that's what she needed to do, and that's, that was, you know, what got the ball rolling. She ran from him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she hopes that someone will read the book and say, hey, you know what, that's, that's what I need to do, and, and maybe have the courage, and, and believe me, I'm imagining that it took quite a lot of courage uh, for her to do that. Yeah, to actually stand up to your abuser and, and, and point out like someone's abusing me. I think that that's probably from what I understand about people who have abuse, been abused, that that's probably the hardest step to take. I'd say it is, and you know, there's always this, and, and I know that on the island we all had this, why didn't she tell us sooner? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and it just doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How does it work? I mean, how, what, what, I mean, I'm sure you've talked to your daughter, like, why didn't you tell us sooner? I mean, what did, what does she say? Why isn't she? And what could you have done as, is there anything you could have done to help her 
I don't know. I, I guess I don't I'm... know. You know, looking back, if there's anything that anyone could have done, um, she actually sort of spilled the beans, uh, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth at um, uh, the very first session with with um, a counselor. Uh, and I took her to the counselor because the woman on the island said, gee, you know, this kid's been bounced around quite a bit. Maybe she should talk to someone. And so I took her, and it, again, we just thought she was living with an alcoholic. We didn't know the rest of the story at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was her opportunity to, to really open up, and she did. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm certainly not a trained professional. I wouldn't have known what to ask. I mean, this woman, the counselor, basically asked my daughter, if she had privacy in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. And, you know, gee, I'd never think to ask that of anyone. I, I didn't, because I didn't suspect anything. Right, um, right. So anyway, uh, I don't think there's anything anyone could have done to to have that happen sooner. And I've, I've learned um, from people who are much more experienced um, in dealing with, um, you know, victims of sexual abuse or any, any type of abuse that you just never really know, especially with a kid when the truth will come out, if ever. Mm. It, it just, sometimes it just comes out just with no prompting at all. You just don't know. Hmm. Hmm. What, did she ever tell you why, um, why at that moment, was it because at that point she really felt her physical life was in jeopardy, like she was in jeopardy or life was in jeopardy or what? Well, I know that she, I know that she ran, physically ran from him because she was just pretty much at the end of her rope, but even, you know, after she, um, you know, told the truth to the counselor and I was at that session with her, uh, when the counselor said, well, I hope you understand we, you know, have to call the authorities and I have to let the state know, uh, we were on our way home uh, back to the island after that one-hour session and my daughter was saying, is he really in trouble? And I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, but she didn't know. I mean, she'd been yeah. this way. She said, well, yeah. some of the things were wrong but gee i didn't i didn't know he'd be like in trouble she just yeah. didn't know she didn't yeah. you know how would she yeah that's a fascinating observation because in some ways you had your normalcy and what you would expect is based on what you've experienced so far so how would she have known that right. there was something you know there was someone that she needed to alert because she thought that that was normal anyways right. this at, is um oh, go ahead. i'm sorry but at, but at 15 you know she was getting you know older and and wiser, and um, she she knew some of it was wrong, but she just didn't realize that it was. Oh, hey, guess what? It's really wrong, and it's really illegal. And yeah, he's in big trouble. Wow. Um, thank you so much for being here, writing this book, and um, it's a fascinating read and a beautiful story. Really, well, it's the hero's so journey that both you and your daughter took, and I loved reading it. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Okay, folks, make sure to um, stay tuned because we're going to be talking about ending violence and uh, how you can respond to violence yourself. So uh, we'll be right back.